Hi everyone, my name is Callie. And I'm Grant. Welcome back to our podcast, Big World. Small Bites. Today we're going to be looking at the history of oil drilling in the U.S. and the Willow Project more specifically. We're going to talk about the environmental, social, and economic impacts of the damage we put on the planet for energy. Finally, we'll end with some calls to action we can all take to better our future. We hope you're hungry, because we're going to be breaking down this big world into some small bites. The Biden administration has officially approved a controversial oil drilling project in Alaska known as Willow. And the environmental group Sierra Club warned we will suffer the consequences of this for decades. Some environmental groups say he is breaking his campaign promise to end the nation's dependence on fossil fuels. All right, Callie. So I think today we'll get started giving a little bit of the history of oil drilling and and really fossil fuels in general in the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have a little bit of a background and then kind of a cool case study on the environmental impacts of oil drilling in the United States. But to start off, I've kind of an interesting story or a picture to paint for our listeners, especially those who are in this area or who live in the state of Pennsylvania. You should tell us, Brenton, like a funny story voice and then try to kind of add music to it. Ooh, okay, 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 okay. All right, let's go. So all this information comes from the Library of Congress and then from a Times article that had a really great coverage of the story. But are you ready? Once upon a time, in 1855, we were all looking for a more efficient replacement for the asphalt-based kerosene. And George Henry Bissell and a group of investors formed this corporation looking to find oil in the United States. And so they hired this guy named Edwin Drake, essentially set him off to drill and find oil. And he found this this is first oil well, and this is why I think it's interesting for people in the state, in Pennsylvania. It was at Oil Creek near Titusville, Pennsylvania on August 27, 1859. Uh, the company was later renamed, and it was soon overshadowed by the Standard Oil Company, which was founded by Rockefeller, who I'm sure a lot of people know, and he eventually essentially made a monopoly on the oil market. It was eventually broken up, but... Uh, Before that happened, it pretty much controlled the entire market. But that doesn't really give the whole story of who Drake was. So I mentioned they hired this guy named Drake, and he finds oil, right? And this is getting into how Times described him. (laughs) Time Magazine described him. So, he was called, get this, Crazy Drake. Oh, gosh. Because, and I'm just reading straight from how Times described him. After pouring, the, after pouring the modern equivalent of more than $40,000 in invest, investors' money and his own endless labor into a search that spanned for more than a year without results, he finally found the oil. So oh for gosh. a year, this man's just digging and digging and digging, finding nothing. And everyone thinks he's crazy until he finds it. But this isn't, this isn't a happy story, both for the planet, as we all know, but also, right, right. also for Drake as well. Um, he never patented his method. And oh so God. all the money he made when he struck oil soon went away, and, and he really ended up, he ended up broke. That's, that's real sad. Right? It's, it's really a sad story. And, and this is the, the final description that Time Magazine gives for Drake. Though discoverer Drake wound up virtually penniless and forgotten, his find opened the scramble for oil across the land, inspiring a legion of oil prospectors to chase what had become. By 1959, the greatest single source of wealth in America. So, once again, he does spark this this very damaging to the planet, fossil yeah. fuel, oil drilling economy. 
but he ended up virtually penniless and forgotten. How is that for the story of the start of of oil drilling in America? That's sad, and I think it also really cuts against this idea of, like, prosperity that comes with oil. Obviously, Mm -hmm. it brought, as time said, the greatest single source of wealth, but not for everyone, and certainly not for the person who found it, who did all the hard work to find it. Um, So I think the origin story is, um, I think, a good warning story for Mm -hmm. what this whole industry would come to be in the future. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a a great foretelling of what's going to happen. And I think that leads very nicely into my case study. So similar to how Drake ended up penniless and exploited, that's really what the fossil fuel industry does to people today. Right. And so looking again at the history, Los Angeles, and and this all comes from a case study done by USC, the University of of Southern California. And this this was published in 2021. It's a summary of their research into Los Angeles and oil drilling. And, And what they find is, just looking at the history, Starting in the, in the 1900s, there was very little regulation when it came to oil drilling. It was a first-come, first-served basis. And so Los Angeles became one of the largest oil exporting regions in the world. Wow. And this is a quote, again, from the, the Los Angeles Times. Oil rigs were so pervasive across the region that the Los Angeles Times described them in 1930 as trees in a forest. Wow. So they're everywhere in this area. They're all over the place. But, but people start to realize that this is causing health issues, right? That people are getting sick. That there's a lot of problems that are happening. So oil companies, as I'm sure you could imagine, they get together and they're like, well, how can we hide what we're doing? And so <laughs> oil companies disguise their activities with approaches such as operating inside buildings, building tall walls, and designing islands off Long Beach and other sites to blend in with the landscape. Right? Mm. So how, how does that make you feel? In- interesting. <laughs> that's really icky. Right? That's really icky. And and mm. this is where you're looking at today. So you have this history of, of kind of oil drilling in the area. And, and today, about one-third of residents live less than a mile from an active well site in Los Angeles, mm. or as of, of 2021 when this article was published. And this is where you start to see just the pure exploitation of the oil industry. So the city of Los Angeles has virtually no buffers or setbacks between oil extraction and homes and approximately 75% of active oil or gas wells are located within 500 meters, that's 16 or 1,640 feet, of sensitive land uses such as homes, schools, childcare facilities, parks, or senior residential facilities. And so taking this information, the, the authors and the scholars of the study, they start going door to door, start asking people that, that live within these, these oil wells how they're doing, <laughs> essentially. And they find that virtually everyone that they interview have way higher levels of asthma and other health problems than what's supposed to be the average in the United States and for the area. So these people living near these oil drilling operations have high levels of asthma, and then they also look specifically at lung function, and they found that poor lung capacity measured as the amount of air a person can exhale after taking a deep breath and lung strength, how strongly the person can exhale, are both predictors of health problems, and that includes respiratory disease, death from cardiovascular problems, and early death in general. And they found overall, taking like that information and looking at the area, that th- their final conclusion was that the people in these areas, again, looking at lung capacity, suffer higher rates of asthma than average, as well as wheezing, eye irritation, and sore throats. And in some cases, the impact on residents' lungs is worse than living beside a highway. Or here's oh the kicker, gosh. being exposed to secondhand smoke every single day wow 
And so that's just a quick case study of the exploitation of the oil drilling, and the oil industry in the United States. Wow. I think all of that <laughs> just goes to show how I think sometimes um, we see money and we see progress, but we don't see what might happen in the future. Mm-hmm. I don't think that uh, crazy Drake <laughs> could have realized what he was doing and mm-hmm. also that it wasn't ultimately worth the money because he didn't make any money. Yeah, I think that's just like a really, like I'm stuck on that. That's like a really interesting parallel mm-hmm. um, because if we don't have a, a world to live in, it's probably not worth the money. Um, which is, I think, getting into a really current hot topic issue, the Willow Project. Absolutely. Um, where many people are arguing that um, if this goes through, our climate future is very bleak. And is the money worth it if we don't have a safe planet to live on? So, um, interestingly, a lot of the coverage about the Willow Project focuses on climate change. Okay. I have not seen as much about it talking about health issues. Which is really interesting given how obvious the issues are with that and how focused that case study was on it. But to give you a background about what the Willow Project is, so the project was approved by the Biden administration on March 13th. So this would be drilling happening on federal land. And when President Biden came into office, he made a promise to have no new drilling on federal land. Um, So this does directly break a campaign promise that he made. Yeah. So um, that's, I think, the one, the starter problem with it. And then all the other problems come with what would happen if Willow was put into place. Mm -hmm. So this is the oil company ConocoPhillips. It's their um, project. They already have projects in on Alaska's North Slope, um, but Willow would be a new project, which would be very large and would last for decades. Um, And it would be in the National Petroleum Reserve on Alaska's North Slope. Um, And it holds a projected 600 million barrels of oil. Um, Yeah, so there's a really, really big um, potential here for oil exports. So we see money, we see the fact that we're concerned about oil um, reserves getting depleted over the next few decades as well. And um, this company has been exploring and drilling for oil in Alaska for years. So this is just kind of the next biggest iteration. They already have a few projects there, but none of them are nearly as big as this proposed project. And the project was originally approved by the Trump administration in 2020. Um, They were approved to construct five drill pads, which the Biden administration decided to reduce to three, but that will still allow them to drill 90% of the oil they're pursuing. So although there'll be less drill pads, the environmental impact in terms of emissions will be the same. Interestingly, when you're thinking, you know, why did they break this campaign promise? The administration argues that because the, the company already has existing leases in the area, that to deny them this project be very contradictory. They could argue, well, we already have leases in the area, so what's one more? We've already shown that we can operate within the law here. There's no reason why we can't have another lease. So they felt their hands were tied. But there's a really big potential environmental impact in terms of climate here. So by the Biden administration's own estimates, the Willow Project would be projected to add 9.2 million metric tons of carbon pollution to the atmosphere per year. So Grant, do you want to guess how many, like, gas-powered cars that would be on the road f- oh every year? Oh, my goodness. 
<laughs> so 9.2 million metric tons of CO2 pollution. Ooh, I'm going to say, and I, I don't know, I don't know. I'm going to say the equivalent of, of 100 gas-powered cars. Um, that's the equivalent of adding 2 million gas-powered cars to the no road every way. year, potentially for 30 years. That's how long the, the project could be producing oil. Wow. Yeah. So that's pretty catastrophic. That's appalling. Yeah. This is why I think like electric vehicles would be so important um, because we would reduce a need to mm-hmm. create this much oil. But once the project's in place, there's going to be some kind of inertia. A yeah. certain amount is still going to be produced. Um, so it, it sets an interesting precedent as well um, for the administration. If this project is okay, what else is okay? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bit it's a bit concerning in terms of people, um, good intention people who want to make a positive environmental change, but feel that they, you know, can't because of certain legal reasons or because of economic reasons. It just kind of goes to show how, you know, people with good intentions can still make projects like these possible. Um, and in terms of support for the project, there is a coalition of Alaska Native groups who support the project because they really need a new source of revenue for this region. And if you know anything about indigenous people in our country, they've been pushed aside, they have been forced into reservations where economic conditions are bleak and opportunities are very scarce. So I could definitely see why this group would be interested in a new source of revenue for the region. They're saying you'd be able to fund education and healthcare, things that are definitely sorely needed for that group who is often not afforded those Um, those services, but also there are some natives living closer to the project um, who are very concerned about what the health impacts would be to their community and also what the impacts to the environment would be. So again, a very complicated issue, not just easy enough to say, well, 100% bad, 100% good, which is why I think um, issues like this are so hard. Because if you're a community that really needs help, something like this is just so enticing and that's why i think we see with fracking in pennsylvania communities that were left behind by the coal industry just need a way to make money and if you're trying to make money and you don't have any that's your that's your day-to-day you're not concerned about what the future holds so it's definitely a very complex and and difficult um decision but it has definitely garnered a lot of um online support for opposing the project. Um, I was looking at an opinion written by some youth climate leaders from CNN, including Greta Thunberg, um, which really just focused about how this could set a really dangerous precedent and how this will be extremely catastrophic for our climate goals. Um, And this is already continuing beyond Willow as well. Um, the government is currently auctioning off more than 73 million acres of waters in the Gulf of Mexico for offshore drilling. Wow. Um, yeah. So it doesn't stop here, um, which I think is why it's so important to activists that it does stop here to show that we can't just keep letting these things slide. And I, and I, th- I think it speaks to a more important conversation of the role of renewable energy. Yeah. I, I wonder if the Biden administration had considered the amount of money, revenue, and benefit to local populations if right. a solar field was built or, or offshore wind even in the area as opposed right. to, to the drilling, which, I mean, a, as the case study showed, will likely cause asthma, cancers, and all, and all kinds of other issues. 
Right. And then I think it speaks to a bigger conversation about the connection between equity and the environment and solving yeah. climate change. But but I really think it speaks to to this idea that they're all interconnected and that, you know, to solve one, we have to solve them all. Uh, but I, I do wonder why the Biden administration perhaps didn't take it to court. Because even if they lost, they could have argued that they, that they tried to set a precedent that right. it wasn't allowed. Right. And so some groups are trying to take um, the oil company to court. Um, Earth Justice is just one that is expected to file a complaint and if they can't secure an injunction um, before the project is supposed to begin, it could delay construction for at least a year. So if we okay. keep putting off this project, that you know oil won't be extracted, and perhaps we could set some regulations about drilling um, or just move forward in renewable energy to stop a need for um, oil. But um, the project would need to be fully constructed before they can um, actually produce oil, obviously. So if there are some legal issues, it could take years before the oil would actually reach the market. So it's kind of, there are some opportunities to slow it down, mm -hmm. but right now um, it's unclear where it's going to go. It's, you know, we're kind of at this crossroads. Um, and I think it's also interesting, like you were mentioning, this issue of equity and the environment because We've seen, I mean, living in Pennsylvania, especially in central Pennsylvania, you can see towns that, like I said, were left behind by mm -hmm. coal. Um, many that saw a boom from fracking who are now kind of just seeing things become more stagnant. Um, so there are communities that really believe in these companies that are coming to help them. Mm -hmm. And they do see an economic benefit, but they can't see that that benefit might not be long lasting. And you, you've seen a lot of studies, I think, today from, for example, UC Berkeley did their 2035 report where they analyzed the U.S. and renewable energy, and they found that in the direct vicinity around old oil drilling rigs, you can often put in renewables that are last longer, they're, they're higher paying. And so I think we really have to look at areas that have been left behind and yeah. look to look to solutions. But, but speaking on that, I'm sure our listeners have some, or, or they'd like to know what they can do. You know, yeah, it all feels in. heavy and bleak thinking about um, the health issues, the climate consequences, um, and like the kind of seemingly endless tunnel of we want to make things better for people, but it's hard to. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so we have some some action points for you. Do you want to start yeah, us yeah. off? Absolutely. I, I know just to start, you can support these bigger organizations that are trying to file lawsuits against the Willow Project. Yep. That, that's always one way, but it's sometimes harder to see where your money's going right. for those type, of, those type of actions. But I think it's important to note, you mentioned how this project will hurt the United States' larger climate goals. Mm -hmm. and, and I think oftentimes, and, and I know it's kind of a, a point that's beaten again and again and again, but on the local level, really going out and voting and showing support for climate action can have a bigger role, A, mm -hmm. in reducing the emissions in your area, which plays into a, a bigger climate goal for the United States, but also really kind of setting a precedent that people care. And, and if you know everyone at the local level shows that precedent, it, it can reach higher. And so we mentioned last episode about EV chargers, right, putting those in. In order to get those put in, we had to talk to the, the local borough in the area and to often get their support for the project as well and just to help promote it. And one of the things, I, I mean, I, I assume that they think about is, do people in the area even want this? Do they even support right. it? And it's often those local votes, polls, and conversations where people mention things like EV chargers that, that allows the borough to be like, yes, we need to back this project. Right. Which sets a precedent for the whole, for the whole nation. 
Um, and so I really think that an easy local thing to do is to talk to your area and see how you can reduce emissions in your area. Yeah, and I think that's important because you might think, well, I care, but no one else cares. But if no one knows that you care, um, they're not going to know their support in your area for it. So be vocal about mm -hmm. that support, which I think goes along with educating other people. So you can certainly go out into your community and talk to people who um, might already know about these things and grow a larger coalition for support. But also just some people might not know about certain things that are happening. They might not even know about the Willow Project. So to go into your community and tell other people about things that are happening or just share news articles with your friends, um, that's an important first step because if you don't know about it, then you can't go and support um, organizations that are trying to fight this project or, um, you know, support communities that need help in terms of fighting climate change. So that's definitely a good first step to show your community that this is an issue that matters to you. Absolutely. And there's always that step you can take by writing a letter to a representative or a senator. Oftentimes, these big climate organizations have a template that you could fill out or, yeah. or feel free to, to put some passion in, write your own. But you can always send those. Oftentimes, they're open to more if they're sent by mail. So if you have the ability to do that, I would recommend it. But even all, all, a lot of them, you can send it by email as well. Or yeah. call. You know, you, you probably talk to a staff member, but they can relay the message. But uh, all in all... Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. We hope you'll join us next time as we keep on cooking. This will be the last or second to last episode for this semester of episodes. We really appreciate everybody tuning in. We'll be serving up a new episode soon. So get ready for some more bites of this big world.